A reading from the Gospel according to John. Now among those who went up to worship at the festival were some Greeks. They came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and said to him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew. Then Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly, I tell you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains just a single grain. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Those who love their lives lose it, and those who hate their lives in this world will keep it for eternal life. For whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, there will my servant be also. Whoever serves me, the Father will honor. Now my soul is troubled, and what should I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, it is for this reason that I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. The crowd standing there heard it and said that it was a thunder. Others said an angel had spoken to him. Jesus answered, This voice has come for your sake, not for mine. Now is the judgment of the world. Now the ruler of this world will be driven out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to indicate the kind of death he was to die. The crowd answered him, We have heard from the law that the Messiah remains forever. How can you say that the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? Jesus said then to them, The light is with you for a little longer. Walk while you have the light, so that the darkness may not overtake you. If you walk in the darkness, you do not know where you are going. While you have the light, believe in the light, so that you may become children of light. After Jesus said this, he departed, and he hid from them. The word of the Lord. When we stop to think about it, you and I and the whole church has some favorite titles or favorite names for Jesus. The name Jesus itself in that day was a common name, and in some cultures today it still is a common name, but we treat it as a very special name. We also have other names for Jesus other than Jesus. We have descriptions, we have titles, we have ways of trying to understand who he is. And in the Christian world that I've grown up in and that you also are a part, <clears throat> some of those names seem to be more common and more commonly used than others. If I were to ask any one of you to tell me other names of Jesus, other descriptions, you'd probably say something like, well, Jesus is the Son of God. Yes, that's exactly right. That's true. It's common for us to say, Jesus is our Lord and Savior. 
And yes, of course, that's true. We might want to talk about Jesus Christ, thinking that Christ is like a last name. There's Jesus Christ, and then all the other little Christs running around, they come from a long line of Christs. That's, that's not the way it works. Jesus is Christ. Jesus is Messiah. Christ, you remember, is just the Greek word for Messiah. They both mean exactly the same thing. Jesus had a different idea about how he would name himself or how he would describe himself. Jesus' favorite title for himself was not Son of God. It was not Lord or Savior or Messiah or Christ. In the Scriptures, especially, of course, the four Gospels, Jesus refers to himself most often as the Son of God of man. He actually never calls himself the Messiah or the Christ. But 70 times in the Gospels he calls himself the Son of Man. And so you and I need to take that title very, very seriously. We have to ask, what did Jesus mean when he said he was the Son of Man? Scholars agree that the title Son of Man throughout the Scriptures is somewhat problematic. It, in a sense, means many different things, depending on the context, depending on the writer, depending on who is using the term. And so I have wrestled for several weeks now to think of the best way to describe for you what I think Jesus means when he says, I am the Son of Man. I've wrestled and struggled, and I actually think I've come to a good place, which is unlike the preacher who was referred to in a cartoon that I posted on Facebook yesterday. How many of you saw that? I know some of you did. Some of you even liked it, right? One panel cartoon, a, a woman plainly dressed is standing in the pulpit, and she says, Pastor will not be preaching today. He wrestled with the text, and the text won. <laughs> this is one of those texts that we must wrestle with, but thanks be to God, I think we can win. If you go back into the Old Testament, you find that phrase, son of man, frequently used, and very often it means to say something very simple. It simply means a human being. You and I are all sons or daughters, of course, of men and women. In its very simple form, a son of man is just a fancy way of saying a human being, a child of a man and a woman. And oftentimes in the Old Testament, that's what the phrase means. But sometimes it seems to mean more than that. For instance, in the book of Daniel, Daniel has great visions of heaven and of what God is going to do in the world, and he has a vision of one who is like the Son of Man, a human being whom God will use to conquer evil in the world and to usher in the presence of the kingdom of God in the world, not just your average and ordinary human being, mind you, but a special Son of Man with a special role in the world. 
Or we might think of some of the visions of Isaiah, who said that God would one day bless the earth with a person, a man, of course, a man who would bless the world as God's gift to the world by suffering for the world. In both of those cases, with Daniel and with Isaiah, we have held up before us the vision of a human being who is only human, who is purely human, but whom God is going to use in a special way. Now, of course, you and I automatically begin to think about Jesus Christ because we have the benefit of 2,000 years of interpretation, 2,000 years of description and discovery and confession about who Jesus was and who Jesus is. But put yourself in the place of those people who first met Jesus. They had no idea who he was. He was a son of man, yeah, he was a human being from, from Galilee. He was the child of Joseph and Mary. They began to sense, though, those who met him and knew him, that there was something perhaps more special going on. As John tells the story, then, of Jesus' life. John tells us what the other three Gospels tell us, that Jesus had a way of teaching about the kingdom of God and the truth of God that seemed to ring true in a way that nobody else's teaching did. Jesus had a way of welcoming people and encouraging people and reaching out to people that most religious people wouldn't dare touch, but Jesus did, and in a way that he did it, he brought them back into a relationship with God and with each other, and that was unlike most other teachers of his day, all of them, in fact. Jesus actually had a way of turning off his cell phone whenever he needed to do that. And never once did he leave his phone on ringer when he shouldn't have. <laughs> there was something special about Jesus, so special that people either rejected him because they knew he was dangerous and things were going to change, or they accepted him and they didn't realize that he was dangerous and things were going to change. So as John tells us the story Everybody wants to get to know Jesus. Jesus and his disciples have come into Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. You and I know that in that coming into Jerusalem that very, very important and difficult things will happen in Jesus' life. The passion, the death, the resurrection. But, but they don't know that yet, not those who are with Jesus John tells us that some Greeks want to hear from Jesus. They want to meet Jesus. We like to think it was just the Jews, perhaps hundreds of thousands of them who came into Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover, but we also know that there were others who were not Jewish, who were attracted by the, the morality and the ethics and the way of life that the Jews practiced, and so they also practiced Judaism in some form. That's probably who those Greeks were. They wanted to meet Jesus and learn more about him. So they came to Jesus, and we don't know what they asked. We don't know what they said. All we have is Jesus' response to them. Jesus responds to them, as he has to so many others, by saying, now the time has come. 
for the Son of Man to be revealed in his glory. There's that title again. It's as we listen to Jesus describing to these Greeks who he is as the Son of Man that we begin to learn why Jesus used that designation for himself so often. Let's learn from it. Jesus, when he said, I am the Son of Man, was not just saying, I'm a human being like the rest of you. He was saying that because he was. It is an article of faith that Jesus was fully human. But Jesus was more than just human. Jesus was, in my way of thinking, the quintessential human being. Son of Man is capitalized. It's a title. This is the human being, not just any old human being like the other billions and billions of us on the planet. There's something special about Jesus. He is the human being in whose being the true nature and purpose of all humanity is finally fulfilled and expressed. Later on, Paul would write to the Romans and say that just as God created all humanity in Adam, Adam, which means humanity, God recreates humanity in the new Adam, in Christ Jesus. If you want to know what a human being is supposed to be in its being, then you look at Jesus. Jesus went on. Jesus began to describe what the life of this one truly human being would be like. Now, you and I might like to think that there would be wonderful things that would follow because we like to look at other human beings and sometimes emulate things that we see in them. How many of you have a hero or two in the world? Somebody that you look up to, maybe somebody who was really, really smart, somebody really, really capable, somebody who made a big difference in your life. I hope all of us have human heroes, people to whom we can look up and learn something from, right? Usually when we look at our human heroes, we look at somebody who's been wildly successful or wildly popular or incredibly influential or deeply meaningful to the world, someone a lot like I am. <laughs> and we say, I want to be like that guy. I want to be like this amazing woman. And that's what we wish Jesus had said, we wish Jesus had said, I'm incredibly powerful, I'm amazingly intelligent, I'm so popular, be like me. But that's not what Jesus said. Jesus said, I am the son of man who has come to be among you, to sacrifice myself, to die for you. I don't want to follow a hero who's going to ask me to die. 
but that's the hero I do follow, and so do you, if you say you are Christian. What do we do with that? Thankfully, Jesus said more. Jesus, when he said, I am the Son of Man who has come to die for you, also said to us that he is the human being who shows us how truly to be human. To be a human being does not mean that you are going to conquer the world. It does not mean that you are going to be the best and the brightest and the richest and the most amazing among all of us. That's not what being human is. Being human is about being like Jesus. Giving of ourselves for the sake of of others. Now that doesn't mean that being rich or powerful or successful is in and of itself a bad thing. It's great that we can generate wealth. It's great that we can exercise power. It's great that we can exercise influence and all those other wonderful things. But those things mean nothing and go astray and actually become demonic and destructive unless they are part of a human being who is truly human in his or her being. Loving, giving, sacrificing for others. Jesus went on to say that the way human beings are meant to be human is in these ways. Those who love their lives lose their lives. Those who hate their lives in this world will keep their lives for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, there will my servant be also. Walk while you have the light, Jesus says, so that the darkness may not overtake you. While you have the light, believe in the light, so that you may become children of light. What's all that about? All of that is about recognizing that Jesus as the quintessential human being is the example for you and me about how we can become human beings too. Beings created in the very image of God. It's not about our power. It's not about our peace. It's not about our prestige. It's not about our popularity. It's about our following Jesus into a life that thinks first of others, into a life that denies itself so that others can have, into a life that puts away its own pride and its own fear and its own prejudice and its own preconceived notions about how the world should be, and instead turns to God and says, God, how do you think the world should be? Now make no mistake. Jesus never once said that you and I could become God like we believe he was. We are dependent on the grace of God to give us life and to receive us into life and to forgive us when we make mistakes with our lives. There is only one who is God and God human. But that one said, you can do better 
He even said we could be perfect. Perfect always? Of course not. But perfect sometimes and perfect more times is better than perfect not at all. I believe that when Jesus called himself the Son of Man, that he meant to protect you and me from a form of religion that said, Jesus, I'm so glad you died. I'm so glad you were the Son of God. I'm so glad I'm taken care of now. I don't have to worry anymore. Let's eat, drink, and be merry and go on. Jesus called himself the Son of Man because he wanted us to know that a human being could in fact, live in the way that he lived, and he calls us to do that. He challenges us to do that. He invites us to do that. He invites us to live with love, with integrity, with truth, with courage, with all of those gifts of the Spirit that we so well know. Because God became human in order to elevate humanity into godliness. And that's the best news of all. That's why we come to this table. We come to this table so that we can say, thank you, God, that you became one of us. And in your humanity as well as in your divinity, you sacrificed yourself for us. In your divinity, you called us to be who you are, but we have to have you. We have to remember that you alone are Lord. We have to remember that it is by your power alone that we are fed and nourished and strengthened to do your work in the world. So we come to this table continually to be nourished, to be challenged, to be reminded, to be encouraged by the living Lord who is the example for us all, come to the table and eat.